Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, Reza- now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I- Allison, where did you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the, on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited to bring in my guest, but first I must catch up with producer Tony Thaxton, aka the bad boy of podcasting. Tony, this is two weeks in a row now where our guest has danced to my, if I say so myself, infectious theme song. Mm-hmm. And I've felt like, you know, as I said last week, we started streamlining the video. So it just starts with me talking and then you just see a like, like the title goes across the screen. And then, you know, we don't make people wait around for the music because that's what yesterday, that's a yesterday thing. Today, everything is slick or something. I don't know. I'm trying to get on board with how we're doing it on youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. But we're going to have to include some of the guest dancing. We have to. We'd be fools not to. And, and could uh, maybe also start including me pretending to look like I'm doing a bunch of stuff so I don't have to dance. We can do that too. We can have a, t- a, a bullshit Tony no. camp. Uh, we don't. We don't need to do that. No, we but can I do just, that. I'm just calling. I'm just calling myself out on my uh, my non dancing. Would you describe yourself as a wet blanket, Tony? Uh, depends on the scenario. I think sometimes, yeah, I'll admit it for certain occasions. And also, do you know what the origin of wet blanket is? Because Daniel and I, and as you can tell from that setup, I do. And I'm just looking for an opportunity to let you know. Uh, I forget. Oh, Daniel and I, this is, this is a terrible, terribly boring and mundane backstory. So I'll make it very fast. (laughs) Great way to start the show. Yeah. Um, Daniel accused me of being a wet blanket. And then we were talking about wet blankets. And he was like, a wet blanket. Like, imagine if you had a wet blanket on top of you. Like, that'd be so uncomfortable. And I said, I don't think that's what a wet blanket is. I think a wet blanket is something used to put out fires. And I was right. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. My my bad guess was going to be that it had something to do with uh, bedwetting. Ooh. Interesting. Can I? I don't tell know what the logic you? is there, but I was just yeah. That's all I had. I was not a. I didn't wet the bed for a long time, but when I was, uh, you know, learning to be potty trained, I do have memories of wetting the bed occasionally. And my mom would put these rubber sheets on the bed, which felt like a punishment, even though it really wasn't. It was just supposed to protect the bed. But I have this very visceral memory of like crunchy rubber sheets. I. As someone who has two small children, I don't think they make these anymore. And thank God. Like, imagine a latex glove, but it's a sheet. Yeah. Like a bed condom. A, wait, so so that, and that's what's on top. You don't put... No. It, you put the 
rubber blanket on the around okay. the mattress and then you put a sheet on top of it. Okay. But it's so, so it's to protect the mattress, not necessarily the sheets. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Actually. So then you still have a wet sheet or a wet blanket. Yeah. I guess that's easier to replace yeah. or uh deal with than a mattress. I get it. So the other thing I have to tell you, and then we gotta bring in the guest because this is it's downright rude, but he's still in traffic. Um <laughs> I experienced the weirdest thing today. I was trying to remember something and I was going nuts because I could, it was like on the tip of my tongue and I couldn't remember it. And then I finally remembered it. And usually you would experience, I think, relief when you remember something like, oh, good, I'm not going insane. Mm -hmm. But I experienced like ecstasy. I experienced joy. It was the, I don't know what wire got crossed in my brain, but it like, you know how you hear of people who uh, orgasm every time they sneeze? Tell me you've read, (laughs) you heard of these news stories. Do you hear of weird things like that? It was almost like an orgasmic enjoyment of being able to remember this thing. And here's what I think. Remember also last week where I talked about how, I believe I'm evolving because I heard good of good news happening. Good news in entertainment happening mm-hmm. separately to two different people. And I only felt joy for them, which is very unusual for me. Um, so I think something perhaps has become unlocked in me. And now I'm able to experience simple pleasures, joy for other people. The simple joy of remembering something. It's a whole new world for me, Tony. <laughs> That's good. You got to take the wins right now because uh, everything else seems real Pretty dire bad, right? right? Yeah. I know. But yeah. you know what? Uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, real. I'll just keep this real quick because I know you're about to bring the guests in, but I felt like this was relevant to the show. I, I went uh, to a, there's a place near here, a record store called Permanent Records that has opened now a, it's called Permanent Records Roadhouse and it's a bar also Ooh. and they're having shows there as well. They have an outdoor patio, and they're having comedy shows. I went to the outdoor comedy show last night, and some friends of the show were on the show, Eliza Skinner, Sarah Schaefer. Nice. And uh, so saw them, said hello to Eliza. Didn't say hello to Sarah. Uh, but um, And then I'm, I went in for a moment to uh, look through some records, and somebody came and stood right across from me and put their elbows down, and they were clearly doing like some sort of bit with me. And I look <laughs> up, and it's our friend Joe Quazala. I joe quazala me too he'd not not on the show just there to hang out yeah uh, so yeah that was a nice surprise to run into him how long did the bit go like once you saw who who it was then did he accuse you of having a fake gold record in a british accent which is the bit that he (laughs) normally does no he was only he was only kind to me the the bit was just uh waiting for me to see him and i saw him fairly quickly so yeah we had a nice little talk nice yeah it was good to see him look at you out there being social trying yeah trying yeah. scary out there mm-hmm. i was outside most of the time felt okay yeah well that's good um we need to get all of them back on the show yes but you know who we have on the show today someone i like quite a bit i know someone that you have told me is a very nice person and if our pre-show chatter uh is any indication you are spot on with that assessment uh you know him from the Big Bang Theory, Speechless, Love on Netflix. I had to mention that one because it was one of my faves. Uh, and a, like a million thousand other things. He also is the host of a new podcast called Household Faces with John Ross Bowie. Please put your hands together for John Ross Bowie. Hey. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Hello. 
So I will tell you, since I'm not going to pretend that you didn't hear all of that beforehand, even though I was pretending, but I've decided I'm not going to. Um, I know that you have a bit of a uh, punk background. And I do. So I, what I was trying to, re- I lived in New York for a number of years and it suddenly popped into my head that there was a club, I think across the river in New Jersey that I never went to, but Maxwell's. a lot of, say it again. Maxwell. That's what it was. But I couldn't I remember. Maxwell's. I couldn't Hoboken, yeah. remember the name Maxwell's and I couldn't remember what city it was in and it was driving me insane. And then a friend of mine had moved to New Jersey. Like there was a place in New Jersey that a lot of people who had business in Manhattan moved to. And I was like, maybe if I remember the name of that town, that'll be, you know, in like in my brain adjacent and somehow. And then I couldn't remember that. And it was like forgetting how to speak a foreign language. I was like, I've lost all of my everything. It was likely Hoboken. Yes. And that's, uh, what it was. And, and that's where Maxwell's was. Yeah. yeah and there was a great there's you guys were talking about record stores. There was a great place called Pier Platters that was right by the water in Hoboken. It was yeah. really, uh, really, really cool. But yeah, Maxwell's was great. They would um, feed you, which was nice, which was mm-hmm. no small thing. Um, just like a bowl of pasta, but it could be a very, very useful thing because if we we played there a couple times at the end of like a little three day tour, you know, we'd go up through New York State and then we'd come back down through Jersey. Was this and, in uh, Egghead? Yes, yeah. When I was in my, my my band Egghead for like three or four years in the nineties, and um, uh, Maxwell's had um, it was weird. Did you ever play there, Tony? Yeah, I played there a handful of times. Yeah, and it was weird because it was it was it was great. Um all good sight lines as an audience member and then on stage you had really good sound, but it had this weird old-fashioned tin ceiling which you think would be an acoustic nightmare, but it sounded great in there. We had a we had a lot of very very fun shows at that place. You know what I do remember though? My one negative memory of that place was getting gear on and off stage was a fucking nightmare if there was a lot of people there. Yeah, there was no you, there was no like side or back entrance. It was all just through the crowd onto the stage. Yes, well, Egghead did Carried. not really have that problem as our <laughs> shows were uh, somewhat more sporadically attended. But um, I imagine that yes, it was a a challenge for uh, a band that people enjoy. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, there was a club in L.A. and I wish I could remember the name of it, but the stage was up in the air and you had to climb a ladder to get on stage. And I just remember, thank God I wasn't in charge of getting my amp up there because I wouldn't have been able to do it. I could barely get myself up there. And then I was afraid I was going to, this is the least punk rock thing ever, but I was afraid I was going to fall off the entire time. It was really an unpleasant experience. Has anyone ever played on a stage that's dangerously in the high in the air? Tony, I, John? I also, I, uh, not quite that, but I definitely... I think it was somewhere in Illinois. I couldn't tell you what city, but we played at a skate park and we literally, it was indoor and we played at the top of a skate ramp. Terrifying. And so, and there was a like actual ramp to get the gear up there, but it was like so steep and it was just, yeah. Also, I played there. a skate park in Highland Park, but it was outside. So you were just basically on, you were at ground level and everyone was beneath that. So it was like playing next to an, uh, an empty pool, essentially. Yeah. Um, but even that gave but me like, a scary. weird vertigo. Yeah. Even that kind of <laughs> threw me. And, and that was, you know, very avoidable to not plummet into the, uh, onto the, the ramp, onto the, the, uh, pipe. But, um, what you're describing is nightmarish. I like, I, I will have actual anxiety dreams about that scenario. 
Well, that's our parting gift to you. You're welcome. What <laughs> did you, you play so in the band? I played bass and I sang about half the songs. Nice. Do you still play? I do actually, yeah, and it it I hate to say it, I it's because it's such a cliche, but I I picked it up uh, quite a bit during the pandemic. I I started playing a lot more guitar, and I bought myself uh, a new bass for the first time since 1996. Ooh, nice. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a few. Um, I I, I the, the combination of the pandemic and an encroaching midlife crisis uh, really uh, it hit me pretty hard. So, yeah, there's gear in the house that was not here 12 months ago. <laughs> Are you actually having an encroaching midlife crisis? Oh, yeah. Ooh, tell us yeah. about that. How's it feel? Well, you know, it's weird. Um, but it's it's not it's manifesting itself in 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 pretty dumb ways you know like I, I have no intention of having an affair because I, I just can't multitask but <laughs> I I have you know I'm, I'm I'm playing more music um I'm plugging in my my little Marshall amp here um a friend on a whim not even knowing that I would be amenable to such a thing a friend invited me to an in-person all vaccinated D&D game and I said yes <laughs> I will take you up on that so it's not like a it's not a classical L.A. sports car twenty mm-hmm. uh, something girlfriend kind of uh, midlife crisis, but there is a regressive quality to my tastes right now, where I'm going back to things that I really enjoyed when I was twelve or fourteen, like Dungeons and Dragons and punk rock, and 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 hanging out there a little more than uh, I expected to at the age I currently am. <laughs> Are you? Because to me, like an element of a midlife crisis is taking stock of where you are in your life and thinking about like, when I was young, here's what I, where I thought I was going to be. Here's what I wanted to accomplish here. You know, am I like, am I, am I okay with where I am? What things do I want to let go of? Is there, is there some of that? That's a good question. It's not a dissatisfaction with where I am. Mm-hmm. I was talking with um, – I'm going to drop a name here, but I think it's I, – I need to drop this name for the story to work. I was talking to Brian Posehn the other day about my new podcast, which is just me interviewing character actors. You know, not necessarily hugely famous people, but people who are not household names but household faces, mm-hmm. hence the title. Brian Posehn and I are talking about this, and Brian Posehn said – when I was growing up, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy who wandered into a sitcom, said something funny, and then wandered out. And then that was my my job. And I said, I wanted to be that too. And look, man, we did it. Yeah. And and that's not nothing. You know, it, is it a low bar? Perhaps. But there's plenty of people who aren't there. Right. So I, I, I'm actually quite happy with my um, with my career and my family. Um but it was hard not to have a keener sense of your mortality over the past 12 months. This is fun. This is a comedy podcast. And, um, <laughs> no, we get, we get and, dark. Go for it. And, and, and with the Reaper knocking at all of our doors, I mean, you, know, you remember like that panic when we were really just figuring out what was going on, when we were all wiping down our, our groceries with Clorox just talking, wipes. Just talking to my husband about that last night, like, God, remember when we used to wipe down everything before we brought it in the house? And and Allison, you've got kids. I have, yeah, I have a four year old and a two year old. Okay, I have a I have a fourteen and an eleven year old, mm-hmm. and so they were fully cognizant for what was going on, you know. Right. And we had to explain like, 
we can't go outside actually and uh or we can but we can't go very far um uh uh you know we can't the playground's out of the question there's just a bunch of things we cannot do that pizza place is closed um and it was just a very very scary time and i'm not going to pretend that um we as a world don't have a certain amount of PTSD, you know, we're not out of the woods, but I think there, there, it was really a freaky time. So I, I, I went to like, what are the things that are guaranteed to make me feel good? And this, this dopey um, fantasy role-playing game with people who are, are, are not taking the game so seriously that like, I'm being yelled at if I don't do a voice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that we were, we're, we're still, you know, grownups and, and, and improv people and enjoying each other. And, uh, just the, the, the satisfaction of, of playing music. I've got a bunch of people reaching out to me. I'm like, Oh, we should get together and just play some covers for the first time in years. People are reaching out to me at that. So I don't think I'm alone in this particular flavor mm-hmm. of midlife crisis, but, um, it is very telling that people have been like, that's what I want to do right now. This year taught me that I've got to enjoy myself um, because, you know, we are – no one here gets out alive. Right. So let's get together and we'll learn some minor threat covers and uh, enjoy ourselves. <laughs> um, so I know that you and Tony know each other in real life. Uh, yes. I don't know why I said in real life, like as opposed to what? Um, the cartoon that you guys both star on? I don't know. Um, but how do you guys know each other? Uh, I – Became a fan of his band, Motion City Soundtrack, in 2004 when their first full length came out. And um, actually, um, it came out in 2003. I bought it in 2004, <laughs> nerd. Um, uh, that's right. Actually, I did know that it came out in 2003. Um, and I, um, I just loved it. I loved that record. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And 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 I will. I'm, I've said this to his face. I'm not saying this just because he's in the room. Um, I I particularly was struck by the drumming on it. Um, and I just thought this is like, oh, this is like sort of emo, but there's a sense of humor and there's a moog and 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 this drummer's insane. There's just a lot going on here that I really enjoy. And then I ended up following them on social media, and then. So that was me sort of like reaching towards the music thing. But then Tony you know, was in L.A. and just became more comedy adjacent. Um, and our paths eventually crossed. And I did his old uh, Christmas podcast that he used to do, which was so fun. Police Navi Pod. Such a, yeah, such a, such a, a goofy, specific concept that I, <laughs> I loved. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm friends with, uh, with Tony and I'm friends with, with Justin, the singer. So uh, before we started, you joked about having a chart where you were determining who was nicer, you or Tony. And there's, re- I mean, I, I did joke about having a chart, but really, I, I, and I know it would be awesome if I actually did have a chart. Ha ha ha. But there's really, <laughs> I mean, ask anybody. It's Tony. Tony is absolutely the nicer guy. I'm prickly. That's so not true. Watch, watch some, I mean, watch someone like cross me on social media and how and see how cuddly i am <laughs> i it's it's no it's not um there this is uh, there's no contest it, it's 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 tony tony by a country mile you're so much more friendly and outgoing though i'm i'm much more quiet and, and outgoing uh, is not the same thing as nice right but what you know, are you but sam kinnison was outgoing what are you doing <laughs> but you'll strike up a conversation with people whereas i'll just kind of you know stand in the corner and look at my phone that doesn't mean you're not nice that i mean it means you're maybe introverted and that's fine and but but i i, I wouldn't 
qualify you as uh well i i listen the bottom line is it doesn't matter what i'm trying to do in my day-to-day <laughs> life is be more kind um which is different than nice um i have manners i show up on time i make eye contact when i'm shaking your hand that's all well and good <laughs> um i am trying to be a little more uh kind in my in my life and i uh that's uh, uh and i bet tony's got me there too do you feel like there's been a uh uh like, is that an area where you could improve? Yeah. I mean, I think it's an area where a lot of us could improve. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm particularly unique in that. But I, I would like to um, uh, in, generally, in general be of service to my fellow man a little bit more. And there's a lot of ways that, that, can, uh, that can manifest itself. But I've taken – during the pandemic, I I bought I, I, I had to get them on Amazon because I didn't know how else to get them. Um, so I've already you know dinged my karma just by uh, having someone who's been working fourteen hours a day mail me something. But um, I, I bought one of those um, garbage claw pickup thingies, mm-hmm. and so and I'll go around the neighborhood. Sometimes I'll take my son and just pick up trash in in the neighborhood, um, and uh, there's a lot of it, but it feels good. And I'm just doing it just to kind of get out of the house, get a little bit of get some when when you know there was really limited as to what you could do back like 12 months ago. Right. It was a really it was like this was what I'm going to do today. If I'm going to go outside, the least I could do is pick up some some uh, you know Burger King wrappers. Um, but I was doing that a little bit. And the second anyone sees like a D-list celebrity picking up garbage, like community service, <laughs> community service, that guy got a DUI, that guy 100% got a DUI. Uh, but it was really just, it was just guilt and, and shame about the way the city was looking and this need to do something, you know, a real like think locally, act globally stuff. So yeah, I'm trying to do more things like that in my life. Mm-hmm. Eh. You mentioned that you can be prickly. Like yeah. in what situations? I don't suffer fools and I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room. On the contrary, I think I'm pretty dumb. But if I find someone who's even dumber than I am, I really lose patience quickly. <laughs> and it's not been a great – and social media has amplified that mm-hmm. contrast in a way that um, I don't think anyone expected. Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, I don't think anybody really gave it a lot of thought. But um, – <laughs> I think you you you've asked as as part of my prep for this podcast. You asked about things that uh, are are uh, driving one crazy. Ooh, would you like to do one of them now? Should we? Uh, uh, do you usually save it for the end, or am I jumping the gun? No, you know what happens. Uh, just to let everyone let everyone behind the curtain again. So we we do just mirror everyone and hey, go fuck yourself. And yeah. what keeps happening is I do them at the end and then we run out of time and we don't get to them. So I think it'd be great to do one now. Let's do it. I have a general hey go fuck yourself. I'm gonna I'm gonna use uh, I'm gonna personify one particular kind of internet troll. I'm gonna name him, let's say Fred. And um he uh he's a particular kind of internet troll that has has come for me lately because I while I, I don't necessarily think that a vaccine mandate is the way to go, I think people should get vaccinated and I'm going to spread information about the safety of these vaccines and their efficacy and i have people screaming at me that it's the mark of the beast and that it's going to microchip them and that it's poison and these people almost inevitably follow me because i was on a show about scientists who have their work (laughs) peer-reviewed scrupulously 
or they become laughing stocks. So I am struggling lately with not exploding at the people who enjoyed my work on the show about scientists but apparently thought it was just about a group of guys who wear loud colors. They, <laughs> they missed they missed a crucial element of, of Big Bang Theory, and I'm not speaking for anybody on the show. My opinions do not uh, reflect uh, those of Warner Brothers. Let's make that abundantly clear. But it is striking how many people dug uh, 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 the, the sitcom about uh, scientists and are screaming at me that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. So, hey, Fred. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. That does feel good. I, uh, <laughs> sometimes I think I, I do believe a vaccine mandate would be good. I don't know logistically how That's the it thing. Would I work. mean, I think probably it's practical or rather it's, it's, it's probably the right thing to do. I don't yeah. know how, how practical it is. Right. And, and, you know, yeah, listen, it is a, a government mandate to inject yourself with something that is, we're in a touchy area. Yeah. But, but if if more people realize the greater good they could be doing, but this is just what this pandemic has shown in the states is that this whole rugged individualism thing is just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It, we we are not all isolated, especially those of us in urban centers, and um, yeah, and and now it's the smaller towns that are starting to pay for that level of of rugged individualism. As the cities gradually kind of uh, come out from under the rubble. So, uh, I don't know. I got super heavy. I got That's super okay. heavy. In Have you seen there – just a shout out to I, – I, I think it's I think it's Science Time with Tracy or Science Time with Stacey. Um, she's on TikTok. I am not on TikTok, but I might get on TikTok just for her. But a lot of people have been posting these side-by-side videos. Oh, I have seen her. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's, she's so, an so epidemiologist and she'll have like a quack in the other side. Yes. So, someone uh, who's anti-vax – um, yeah. who's going to talk about how the vaccine works and then she just debunks it and it's so she's so like understated and it's so well done that's what i need i need more of there needs to be more of her and less of me um <laughs> because i i don't have that level headed and also i'm yeah. you know i was an english major at a college that few people have heard of i'm not you know i am Ithaca not an college. md i'm let's check you out you did your homework bless your heart <laughs> um but you know i'm not going to claim that i'm an md but i seem to be listening to a lot of very prominent mds and um but she's just got such an even keel and she's never condescending which is uh the biggest problem uh with uh the left myself included mm-hmm. um and uh it, she just she is a uh she that that is as the kids say goals <laughs> look at you you're so hip <laughs> yeah check uh, me out listen they- my millennium girlfriend told me that now i'm kidding I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I want to tell you guys about BetterHelp. If you're feeling depressed or struggling with uncertainty or having difficulty sleeping or meeting your goals, BetterHelp offers online professional counselors who can listen and help. BetterHelp will help assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. If you've listened to me for any length of time, you know I believe so uh, so strongly in therapy. It's helped me so much. Um, and I believe that anyone who's open to it, it feels like they might benefit from talking to someone would benefit from therapy. In this past year and a half, um, therapists have had these incredibly long wait lists. Um, and, and I know people who've been like, but 
I really need, I really need to talk to someone soon. Uh, and that's why BetterHelp is so great. Um, I have two friends who are doing BetterHelp right now. They are benefiting so much from it. Uh, one of them loved the therapist they were matched with from the get-go. The other one liked the person but felt like it wasn't, you know, the best match. And with BetterHelp, you can change therapists as many times as you want and there's no extra charge. So you don't have to feel like, there's no extra charge for changing. So you don't have to feel like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm interested, but I, I'm afraid to commit this. I'm nervous. Da, 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 da. Um, it's uh, they will get you to the right person. And BetterHelp uh, is can be more affordable than traditional therapy and financial aid is available. Our podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com slash best friend. Visit BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash best friend and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced BetterHelp professional. I also want to talk to you guys about the ring alarm. Um, when we first moved into the house, uh, my husband wanted to get an alarm system and we shopped around and I I had qualms with so many of them. And then I was talking to the guy who straightens my hair, who is like, what I, I always say, either you do your due diligence or just know someone else who does and then do what they say. And he told me, cause I was like, do you have an alarm system? And he told me that he had the ring alarm and it was great because it's affordable. He was able to set it up himself. And that really appealed to me. The idea of just being able to set it up yourself, protect your home with ring alarm for a special offer. Go to ring.com forward slash best friend. It's the perfect way to start your ring experience. So we already had a ring doorbell, um, which I cannot imagine living without it's just it's I think everyone I know has one at this point um they are everywhere you know it's it's being able to see what's going on at your house whether you're there or not is such a huge benefit uh and the ring alarm works seamlessly with that uh you can protect every corner of your home inside and out and ring alarm is protection and peace of mind it's powerful affordable home security that you can easily install yourself it's great you can just you put sensors on uh on all the, the doors on, you can sort of choose where you put them. Um, and it sets up very, you don't have to be handy at all to set it up. We're not. And we set it up, protect your home anytime from anywhere with ring alarm, go to ring.com slash best friend for a special offer on a ring alarm security kit today. You can build the system that's right for your home and have it up and running in minutes. That's ring.com slash best friend. That's ring.com slash best friend. Okay, so let's talk about, well, I want to talk about household faces. I also, you said that um, your goal when you were young, when your aspiration was to be a character actor, and which is, you have achieved that. Can you tell me more about what, why that appealed to you? Well, it seemed like a realistic goal. It seemed uh, like a more realistic goal than movie star. Mm. Um, uh, and it felt like, uh, so aside from the sheer practicality of it, uh, I was a very pragmatic youth. Um, Were you really? I, 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 well, I was because I, I, I actually gave up on the acting dream for a while until I, I took I got it back sort of in my late 20s because I had tried a bunch of other things for mm -hmm. careers and was miserable and just wouldn't. And I was like, I should at least give this a try and then started booking commercials and, and sort of caught my footing pretty quickly. But there was something about when i was when i was growing up i i was looking at i watched a ton of tv growing up and i was in that sort of fun pocket of of 70s television so it's um 
uh, Soap, Barney Miller, WKRP in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. And I... I was drawn to the smaller characters. I was drawn to the the guys who who came in and and, and said weird little non sequiturs and then wandered away. <laughs> and um and they all, you know, I didn't look like John Travolta. Although I mean, the seventies were a weird time because you had like you know Elliot Gould was a romantic lead for about a decade <laughs> there, and that that screwed with all of us. You know, like we're doing a romantic comedy. Get me Walter Matthau. You know, it, was, it was a very <laughs> It was an unusual time, so it, that probably skewed my perspective somewhat, but I was still very much uh, focused on the guys in the corner of of, uh, of the screen, uh, Ned Beatty in Superman. You know, Christopher Reeve is great, but I'm not never going to look like Christopher Reeve. I, you know, Ned Beatty seems to have something kind of interesting going on here. Um, and then, you know, lesser... Uh, Less famous people like Steve Landsberg from uh, Barney Miller or uh, Herb Edelman, who was Dorothy's ex-husband on Golden Girls. All these guys who would come into the sitcom, kill it, and leave. And I was like, that guy probably did like a day's work. (laughs) 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 That looks amazing. What a gig. And um, yeah, I got very, very lucky. My first gig in L.A. was on a sitcom that nobody remembers. We only ran for like two months, but... It was, I was number six on the call sheet. It was a legal sitcom, and I was the incredibly dumb paralegal who came in, said a non sequitur, brought the house down, walked out, and it was a dream gig. What was it the was show? It was so fun. Well, one of the many problems with it, it had the rather clunky title of AUSA, which stands for Assistant United States Attorney, as you know, Allison. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. And um, that was problem number one. Problem number two is that while we were on after Frasier, we were on up against the second season of American Idol. Oh. And we just got decimated week after week. It was just bloodshed. Of um, It was like second season is um, uh, Clay and oh, right. Stuttered. And, you know, the, the show was still a juggernaut mm-hmm. that was basically – it was just this Davy and Goliath and Goliath just wins week after week after week. Um, but it was an amazing experience and it was, it was incredible. Like I moved here to just be like a tertiary character on a sitcom and it instantly happened. Um, so it's been, it's been a good, uh, journey for me. And I find that the guys who, who are, you know, still sort of living job to job in this business are the ones with the craziest stories. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're the ones who've just been, because they're never the people who get weighted on hand and foot, so they're not losing their perspective the way a Matt Damon might. Um, they're still auditioning, some of them well into their older years, and it's given them a grounded quality and a treasure trove of anecdotes that they've never gotten to tell on Fallon. <laughs> are so you, it's are you you consider yourself someone who lives job to job? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of uh, runs as a series regular, but um, uh, like I'm, I'm coming. Sixteen to nineteen was a really good stretch for me. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I was a regular on Speechless, and I was still allowed to do Big Bang Theory occasionally. That's the most job stability I've had in in twenty years in the union. Um, and again, that is rare air, and I'm completely aware of that. I'm certainly not complaining. But since then, yeah, it's been it's been job to job, and I've auditioned a bunch um, still. And I don't even, you know, I, someone put it in really good perspective recently. Um, who was I listening to? I was listening to an interview with um, Phil Morris, who was um, 
uh, Jackie, what's his face? The lawyer on Seinfeld. Um, he's clearly supposed to be John, uh, Jackie, Jackie Childs. Uh, Jackie Childs. Oh, yeah. So Phil Morris was giving an interview where he was talking about getting really upset that he still had to audition in his mm-hmm. middle years. And he ran into an even older actor, uh, a great actor named Oba Babatunde, who is, um, he's in That Thing You Do. He was in the original cast of Dream Girls on Broadway. You'd know him if you saw him. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a household face. And he was heading into an audition, and he was like, hey, man, I don't know if I'm going to get another chance to act this week. This is my chance to act this week. And I thought that over, and I was like, man, I really do love doing this. And it is a little bit of a headache to, like, you know, put on my ring light and get off book <laughs> and get everything together and, you know, you know, shave on a Sunday night so I can get something in for Monday morning. Mm-hmm. But it, it might be. Be my only chance to act that week, and I enjoy doing it. So, um, uh, yeah, I've just gotten into this place where I'm I'm very much at peace. Like I've counted myself out so many times. There's been so many times in my career where I've been like, "Well, that's it. I got to wrap this up and try to maybe get an MSW." Oh, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And um, and I keep getting a, a job or two. Uh, so I think I'm going to stick with it and. Um, and uh, drop dead on set of a hospital drama when I'm like 80 and have the episode dedicated to me. <laughs> uh, you said that you're at peace now. What, when was a time in your, was there a time in your career where you were not at peace? Oh, yeah. Oh, there were plenty of times with, I mean, I think anybody in, in the arts is going to get at a point where they're like, what, why can't I catch a break? Mm-hmm. What is happening? You know, um, you'll just have a streak of bad auditions or you'll, um, uh, the thing you were saying earlier about um, oh, feeling joy for that, other people, feeling joy for other people. <laughs> at, you're at that place where absolutely everyone is taking food out of your kid's mouth. Mm-hmm. John, you didn't have kids yet. Shut up. Everyone was taking food out of my future kid's mouth. <laughs> and it was, you know, daunting and dispiriting. And um, I remember one. They there was one sitcom audition. um that I went out for and they called me back and then they tested me and they said, we can't offer you the role. Um, I got to be honest with you. The network is making offers to other people who aren't going to audition. And I was like, okay. And like, but we'd love for you to do the table read. And I was like, you know what? I'll do the table read. And I showed up at the table read and I killed, I destroyed at that table read. I'm not just saying it. I'm mm-hmm. perfectly capable of telling you when I bombed, this was not one of those times. I did structural damage to that building. <laughs> and two hours later, David Cross got the part. And I that was the last time the, sh- the business was just shattering me. And I was just like, what am I even doing? But important footnote, completely different place in his career. The pilot did not go to series uh, it, it's it, no one, it, I, I'm not even sure if the guys who wrote it got a deal based on that pilot. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think it would have been a game changer on any real front. It might've been a little bit of a payday, but it would not have, you know, really shifted the needle in any recognizable fashion. Everything, this is super annoying to hear, but everything really does happen for a reason. And if I, if that thing had gone on to be a hit, then I wouldn't have been able to do Speechless, which was incredible. I wouldn't have had the recurring on Big Bang Theory, which was an international hit. Um, I've been very, very fortunate, and it would be, uh, it would be incredibly ungracious for me to not recognize that. Um, and what I'm finding from what I'm, I'm sorry, I keep that's okay blabbering on. What I'm finding this is, is most your of chan- my you're here to blabber. <laughs> you're doing great. 
Most of my guests feel the same way. I ask all of my guests if there was a role that got away from them. And they all have they all have a couple of um, of very surprising uh, uh, moments where you're like, huh, there's a whole multiverse out there where Mackenzie Aston is Jack in Titanic and John Carroll Lynch is Walter White in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And but they're all at peace. They're all fine with it. They all recognize that the rice person got the job and everything's cool. And and they found something else. That they might not have gotten had they had they gotten the the job that got away. Everyone I'm auditioning with, or everyone I'm interviewing rather, is is my age or older. There have been a couple of cases of people who are younger than me, but most of the character actors I'm dealing with are in their fifties and sixties, and they're all just really chill. Mm-hmm. They've just got a nice little run going. They know their place. They're happy there, and it's been really uh, it's been really inspiring to talk to all of them. Has the Mackenzie Aston one aired? Uh, no, not yet. We're going to save that one. We've got a, a spoiler alert. We have a doubleheader coming out on Halloween with him and his father, John Aston. Oh, my the God. O- the OG Gomez Adams. Yeah. Um, who was an fascinating interview. He's 92 years old, thoroughly compass mentis, still teaches at his uh, teaches at Johns Hopkins, his alma mater. Wow. Uh, where there was a theater that bears his name. Um, and he had stories. Oh, my God. He had stories. It was awesome. Uh, I was a huge Facts of Life fan, so I got ex- I'm excited over the Mackenzie Aston of it all. You're, we go deep on Facts of Life. That was a fascinating time. That was a fascinating time in that kid's life to to hop on to a moving train like that yeah. in like season seven when he was my son's age. He was like 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And yes, his folks were in the business, but he just popped in. Suddenly he was the cute little tyke on that show. And uh, yeah, he had some amazing stories. Ooh, I cannot wait. Uh, you said that um, at a certain point you had, you thought you were going to do something else besides acting. And then you're like, I may as well give it one more shot. Can you talk about that trajectory a little bit? Like what were you, what was it that you were pursuing? Well, I studied to be a high school teacher and I did my student teaching uh, at Ithaca High and um what were you going to teach english mm-hmm. i was going to teach english um and i got an a for my student teaching at ithaca high not to brag but um <laughs> you got 12 credits for student teaching so first I graduated brian posein now this yeah. my god yeah. do you ever stop patting yourself on the back um i've dropped the name i've dropped is uh brian posein i'm bragging about getting an a at ithaca <laughs> so clearly I'm, I'm 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 flexing pretty weird tonight <laughs> I forgot um, to mention how much he brags. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's nice, but he he's, brags. I'm not nice. I am not as nice as Tony is. But I felt really good. I kind of went into – I went I, – I graduated with kind of the wind in my sails, and I went back to my old high school, which I had actually enjoyed, um, and, um, and, and managed to finagle my way into a job. Now, the catch was that they did not have any positions for an English teacher. But they were like, listen, we are actually short-staffed right now. We have an opening in special education, and we have an opening in English as a second language. Mm. Um, and we'd like to, you to take on uh, long-term sub-work in both of those. And I said, I have no training in either of those. And they said, we are in such a dire need that we can legally hire you off-license, and you can teach these things for which you are not actually uh, certified. So Wonderful. I went in – I went in and taught a semester, about half a semester of special ed and half a semester of uh, English as a second language. Um, or did they overlap? It's, I mean, it's a while ago now. This was, and, and 
I part of me wants to say the high school had changed dramatically, but it probably had not changed that much in four years. The difference was I was now on the other side of the desk, mm-hmm. and uh, it's weird over there. And um, the other problem was that I was twenty two, so baby faced. Hmm. Um, I'm only five foot eight. Um, I had topped off at five foot eight in like my senior year of high school. I remained five foot eight. So you know, there's girls in my there's my ten tenth grade students females are towering over me at this point. Um, and it was just very hard for people to take me seriously as a teacher. Um, uh, a kid took a swing at me at one point. Um, uh, I got, um, my, my room was broken into and got tagged all over the place. And I see, I still see that kid's tag up some places when I'm back home in New York and it drives me crazy. I'm like, ah, (laughs) real six, you prick. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a, was it a rough part of town? Not really, no. I mean, it was it was in Chelsea. Um, it had some. Apparently, I talked to one of the teachers who had been my teacher and then was my colleague, and he said that that when the school started out, it was a young school called the High School for the Humanities, and it started out in 1983. And I was only in like the third or fourth graduating class, and it it started out as this weird school for artistic kids who maybe didn't test well enough to get into Stuyvesant or maybe didn't audition well enough to get into LaGuardia, but had Mm -hmm. something to offer, you know? And so you, it was this weird little bohemian enclave. It was a zone school for the theater district and for the West Village, right? So you could kind of come down or up into this little school on Mm -hmm. 18th Street. So you would get like people whose parents were hippies or people whose parents were uh, theater people or just, you know, sort of weird bookish nerds who wandered around reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but my dad worked in the paper industry. You know, I wasn't necessarily, I was arts adjacent because everybody in Manhattan is, but my parents didn't do it or anything. Right. Um, but it was, um, no, I wouldn't characterize it as a particularly rough school, but the way, the main thing is you had to apply to get in there and you had to, it, it couldn't just be your zone school. It couldn't just be your local high school. Mm-hmm. You had to actually go out of your way in eighth or ninth grade to say that I want to go there. And I did. And in the four years that I was gone, they switched it so that all you had to do was just live in the area. Oh. And so it was people who just didn't necessarily want to be at that school or any school, really. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a, a big difference. So it was – and then again, the fact of the matter is I was now a teacher there. And it is conspicuously less fun to be a teacher at a particular school than it is to be a, a student there. Um, so I did that for one year. And at the end of that year, the assistant principal who gave me the job said, we can't afford to keep you on. There's tons of budget cuts. And I said, you know what? It's actually fine. That's when the band came in. That's when temping came in. And then eventually the band broke up and my temp job had turned permanent. And I was writing brochures for a consulting firm and that wasn't going very well. I didn't feel like I was good at it. But I also felt like the company was actually doing harm to the world. <laughs> what kind of and, stuff did they do? Well, that's the thing. They were doing management consulting, which means a lot of different things. But one of the things they specialized in was human resources restructuring, mm. which means they would come in and downsize your firm, basically. Right. They would, you, if your like, firm. Like, look at who's br- expendable. Uh huh. They would, they would cut fat. And it's not that I'm anti efficiency, but I saw them do a lot of hatchet work Mm -hmm. and um and and fire people who i bet probably could have held on to the job and then the people who remain end up having their workload doubled you know it's not it's not always about efficiency it's about making sure that the people at the top of the company you know maintain their their houses in new canaan so so it just felt kind of dirty doing that and then uh 
a friend dared me to take an improv class. And I was so, I was just really depressed and just having a miserable time. Um, uh, I also endorse better help on my podcast. Um, I was, I was in a pretty dark area and I started taking improv classes and it was literally one of those things where I got up there on the first day and I got a laugh and I was like, I should, I should be honest with myself and, and admit this. And it was a weird thing because like, I, I, it's such a weird you know, it's like it's like I want to be in a rock band, Tony. You know, it's like saying that in public. You know, I want to mm-hmm. I want to be an actor. I want to be a working musician. You know, you sound a little pie in the sky crazy, um, and and you know there are people who will support you, but there's just as many people who will click their tongues and be like, okay, best of luck. Um, <laughs> you know, because it can look like a fool's errand from the outside, and mm-hmm. perhaps it is, but. Um, it just it, again, the business was very was very welcoming to me, and I had I've got a little footing. What had been your relationship to improv prior to that? Terrible. My improv, my relationship to improv had been actively negative. <laughs> I had done so. We had one day a week when I was teaching um, special ed. They would have a group of NYU students come into. Uh, uh, the school. And these were people who were in the drama therapy program at NYU, which is part of Tish, right? And they would come in and they would play theater games with the kids. And um, it was like my my hour off a week. And it, it, it and they were all like, listen, it's the least we can do for John. You know, he's 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 not qualified to teach special ed. He's kind of in over his head. Um, but I would come and I would play these theater games with the kids and I, 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 I just froze up. I got really nervous and it freaked me out. And then one time, this is 1993, one time they did that horrible, horrible game that I hate to this day where you go out of the room and you come back in and you have to guess from the questions you're being asked who you are. Mm-hmm. You're a celebrity. You know that, but you have to guess who you are. And I came back in, and about seven or eight questions in, it became very, very clear that my students had made me Urkel. (laughs) 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 And I was miserable and mad. Wait, why do you hate that game? Um, Because it's it's designed in a way that – I, I'm not a huge fan of like the really structured improv games either. Mm-hmm. The, when I eventually started doing improv, I was doing that sort of loosey goosey UCB lawn form stuff. Right. So I'm not a huge fan of short form anyway because I, I think it's um, um, it's either disastrous or it's good but kind of hacky, you mm-hmm. know. So it, it I, so I hate it because it 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 completely plays on the. It's kind of winless, you know. It plays on the ignorance of somebody in mm. on the team, and right. improv to me should be this sort of communal experience, like and that's laugh. what I got at UCB. It gets a cheap laugh, um, but it also plays to like the deep insecurities I have of like being perceived as stupid. And mm. you are—you're the only person in the room right. who doesn't know something, and that drives me crazy. <laughs> how do you? Because I took some classes at UCB as well. Um, yeah. How do you feel about like I'm going to throw you? an imaginary object and then you're going to throw that to someone, you know, like how do you feel about that kind of stuff? Or like someone's, or or someone's going to say a word and then you all have to pretend you're holding that object. I think it's, um, it's dorky and maybe even pretentious and necessary. That's Uh, how a herald starts, right? With it can, it can, there's a few different ways you can open a herald, but I think, I think stuff like that, that sort of like very overtly physical play mm-hmm. is really crucial, especially at UCB, because UCB, for all its, its, its you know, 
don't think sloganeering can put you really in your head. And they, they put a lot of like talking head, great talking head improvisers out into the world. And a lot of those guys have made uh, a terrific living as incredible writers. But I think getting into your body and out of your head uh, will relax you in a mm-hmm. way that will help your scene work. And if that means, yes, you are tossing around an invisible chicken, or <laughs> I used to have my, I used to have my, my students toss a, an infant around and be sure they were supporting the head the whole time. <laughs> and I would call them out if they were not supporting the head. I had an improv teacher one time who called me out. I had an improv teacher. I'm going to call him out. His name's Todd Stashwick. He's my dungeon master Ooh. in that game I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Tom Sashwick had a thing where if you were drinking, like, this is me, I'm having drinking my improv beverage, right? Mm, my improv beverage, delicious. He would make sure that you remembered while you were doing that, that as you drink that, the cup's getting lighter. Mm. If it's coffee, it's getting cooler as you go on. He would, like, want you so in the environment right. that you would, like, you'd have, like, furniture in your head after a certain point. And... As much as that is, you know, sounds like sort of a Daniel Day-Lewis approach to acting, and maybe it sounds a little insufferable, it really helped me relax and get out of my head, which is where I spend so much of my time. Um, so the the short answer is I think it's it's silly and pretentious and valuable. Yeah, I, I struggled with that. Um, I had a class taught by Betsy Stover, and I've I been on her Betsy. podcast. I love her, too. Betsy's uh, great. She she is. And we when I went on her podcast, we bonded so much over the fact that I had been in her class, although I don't think she has any memory that I was in the class. But you did uh, Why Mommy Drinks. Yes. 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 I love that podcast. Um, But she had us do an exercise where sh- you get on the ground and she tells you what age you all are. Ooh, and yeah. one was That's like not for everybody. <laughs> it wasn't for me. <laughs> and so at the point at which we were like three months old or whatever, and I was looking around, and I'm like, I was just like, goo, goo, God, I, I could not. I just I could not. I, I was way too in my head about it. And there were people who were really rolling around and being babies and kudos to them. Um, well, that's the thing is that I think that I think understanding your limitations and not holding it against the people who rolled over and started doing tummy time <laughs> is to your is to your credit, you know, is absolutely to your credit because there are people who are like, this is super lame. Fuck you, losers, and would leave. And you were at that person. Allison, no, and I salute you for that. Thank <laughs> you. I tried to stick it out. I just was like, I don't know. I wish I did. You know, I also had an experience in. uh have you ever done group therapy? Speaking of therapy, no, I have. Uh, no, I haven't. I only went twice. It, that also was not for me. But um, the, like the the guy who led it would want us to do reenactments, and I also like couldn't. I couldn't get into that. I'm like, I don't know these people. I can't. Pre- and I also have trouble like pretend this pillow is your so and so. I could do that a little bit, but in general, I'm just like, I don't know. I think I just, I enjoy just conversing more than acting out stuff even though i enjoyed performing this is not about me though this is about you <laughs> no but it's i i think that's I, I i welcome the the new perspective and i had students like that too who were just like no i'm here to be funnier thank you very much uh and i i tried to accommodate them as well and did you teach at ucb i did yeah what classes did you teach um i used to teach i used to prefer level one because i loved level one improv because you got people who weren't entirely jaded with the system and they weren't all necessarily clamoring to get on a Herald team, which mm-hmm. is you know, the upper echelon at, at UCB. Um, 
But what was fun about level one is that you had the the dilettantes, you know, the people who were just kind of dipping their toes in to see there was the actor. There was a really good looking actor whose agent said he should maybe try uh, <laughs> improv. There is the lawyer who talked his firm into paying for the class um, as sort of an enrichment thing. There's the teacher on sabbatical to whom my heart belonged instantly. Uh, you get the divorcee is going to scare herself a little bit. It was just, it was, it, the, the cast of characters in a level one improv class was gorgeous. I just loved it so much. And and watching them click and surprise themselves with just the tiniest little thing was was really satisfying. I missed that, actually. Mm-hmm. But before the pandemic, I'd gone back to teach. I was teaching a scene study class, like a scripted uh, acting class at UCB right when everything shut down. But I was I was really enjoying myself and was thinking of throwing myself back into the uh, the level one. Um, but I have no idea what that theater is going to look like when, right. when things open up again. So um. Were your parents supportive? Um, they were. Uh, here's the quick story about my parents. Um, uh, I think they lived in New York City and knew what a risk I was taking going into this line of work. And I think they had some legitimate concerns. Um, it is also very hard when your son goes into something as noble as teaching and then leaves. <laughs> um, I think there's something a little disappointing in that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cognizant and understanding of that. But the er story I can tell you about my parents is that the first movie I ever did <clears throat> was one scene in the film Road Trip from 2000 with uh, Tom Green yeah. and Brecken Myers in it. Amy Smart. Um, I play a waiter. It's one scene. Um, but I speak and I, and it was an uncuttable scene because I tell, uh, I tell one of the characters' dads that his, uh, credit card has been maxed out and that's what sets act two into motion. So you could not cut my scene. I had, the one thing I had going for me is that it was, it was, it was protected by the whole structure of the story. But when the weekend it opened, the night after it opened, my mom called me and said she had taken a bunch of her friends to see the movie and it cheered when I came out on screen. My dad went to go see it and said, oh, you and the kids were cute, but it's no Citizen Kane. And that's um, that's that's uh, that's them in a nutshell. That, that, uh, if that doesn't answer your question, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, John, have you speaking of struggle, have you ever struggled to put on a full strip of false eyelashes? I don't think I need to tell you. That it can be a real, it's, well, here's the thing. I, uh, I, I am someone who definitely will put on individual lashes on the outside, but I never wore a strip lash because, uh, I don't, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to me having to put the glue on the whole thing, having to get it right against your lash line. Look, I'm If sure someone you would know. just let me play Frankenfurter, I would be right in there <laughs> with the cause, but my phone does not ring. Uh, some, well, here's the thing. If you ever get that, Job, I want to tell you about Glamnetic, their magnetic lashes. They have made it so that I'm not afraid anymore to wear a full strip lash. I have worn them multiple times on this show. I've pointed it out. You guys might have noticed on certain days that my eyes look much more open and much more vibrant. Uh, I've always wondered, those other people who have the 
super huge eyes. How do they get that look? It's because they're wearing strip lashes. Uh, and with Glamnetic, they, it's so, it, it really takes like less than a minute to put on. They have this eyeliner that's magnetic. And so you, I did my own eyeliner like I normally do. And then I used their eyeliner and just put it right next to the lash line. And then I took, and I have like a bunch of, I have, I have Vixen. I have Venus. I have, I'm forgetting the names. They have great, I think there's one. Is there Bambi? There should be a Bambi if there's not. I have all of them. Uh, and they all have great names. They can make you, they, you can do different looks. Uh, just put it on and then boom. I was more beautiful than before and more glamorous. Uh, up to 60 uses per lash. So they are more eco-friendly and wallet friendly over 75 styles for your perfect fit from natural to full glam get a different lash for every mood and occasion and you know i love a quiz take their lash quiz or use the lash guide to find the style that suits you best find out for yourself why glamnetic lashes are instagram's favorite beauty hack go to glamnetic.com slash best friend and enter our promo code best friend for 30 percent off your order this code is only available for our listeners that's glamnetic.com slash best friend and enter in our promo code best friend at checkout for 30 percent off i promise you guys these lashes literally apply themselves i also want to tell you about apostrophe this is a prescription skincare where you just you don't have to go you don't have to leave your house. You just do the whole thing over your computer. Um, they specialize in acne treatments, but they also you uh, help you with like other skincare goals. So I had been wanting to try Retin-A, but I didn't want to, especially this past year, I didn't want to have to go to a dermatologist. Um, I wanted to just be able to do it, uh, you know, remotely. So enter apostrophe. Uh, it's super easy. It's a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear acne. They connect you with a board-certified dermatologist who will create a personalized treatment plan that is perfectly tailored to your skin. You simply fill out their quiz. Again, I love a quiz. Uh, stating your skin goals, your medical history. You take three pictures, two profile shots, one straight on, uh, and then very rapid. Like I was surprised how fast it is. Very rapidly, you get an email saying that your customized treatment plan is there. Uh, and it is an actual board certified doctor who, you know, comes up with your treatment plan. So they treat acne, but they can also help you hit your other skincare goals, like reducing redness, wrinkles, and even dark spots. So I had heard that Retin-A is like magic for fine lines. And then also I have a few dark spotches that I wanted to lighten. So I have now been using Tretinoin, that's the generic Retin-A, and some um, skin bleaching cream for months now. And my skin has never looked better. And it is so easy. And in fact, I said to the doctor, I said, can I go up in concentration? It's still a very very it's it's not a super strong dose because i don't need it but um but but she was like totally amenable to me going up in strength and it's just it's it's been so convenient. We have a special deal for our audience. Save $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash best friend. When you use our code best friend, this code is only available to our listeners to get started. Just go to apostrophe.com slash best friend and click begin visit. Then use our code best friend at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's apostrophe.com slash best friend and use that code best friend to get your dermatology visit and save $15 and we thank apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. 
Okay, so we have a couple questions that listeners sent in on Patreon. I am on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Patreon! Weekly bonus episodes of The Friend Zone. That's my Patreon bonus show. Uh, Zoom parties. There's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. And there's a new feature that I have introduced that I'm calling the backstory where uh, every time a Monday show comes out, so there'll be one for this episode, uh, I say how the guests got booked, whether I had met them before, how I felt before the show, how I felt during the show, how I felt after the show. I'm um, just all that behind the scenes content that you are craving. People, I, d- I did my first one with Leanne Kreischer and people are loving it. Um, so patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Also, you can submit questions for the guests. And if you sign up for an annual subscription, you get two months free. So let's find out what people want to hear from John Ross Bowie. When we ask this and them in, they're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay, Matt Murphy says, I just want to thank him for his part in providing us with Speechless, one of the greatest television shows of all time. Jimmy DeMeo is one of the top five greatest TV dads. As a member of a family full of champions for equity and education for students with disabilities, it was a delight to have a show that presents the tears and laughter involved in that continuing journey full of challenges and successes. We rewatch it often. My wife has a question. Was Speechless as fun to make as it was to watch? It really was. It really was. I'm curious who the other four dads are, but it really was. <laughs> um, uh, it was a delight. That was a dream gig on a couple of fronts because um, it was, you know, you 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 look, you're, you want to book a pilot. That's great. Booking a pilot, that's great. Um, uh, your last name is Rosen. You know, if I'd only booked a pilot, Dianu. It went to series, Dianu. Uh, it was uh, telling stories that were not being told at all it was it was representing a community that was incredibly undeserved underserved by uh the media dianu and then it was really funny they had amazing jokes we had writers on that show who had worked on rick and morty and the simpsons and friends and and shows both mainstream and culty that were really really good i got incredible jokes on that show um and they gave me just enough um, creative power that I got Tony Thaxton to come on one time and play my drummer, um, in my old band. Um, we, um, yeah. And we had incredible guest stars. John Cleese played my father-in-law. Um, uh, Cedric, uh, Yarborough's dad was played by Keith David, who I got to get for the podcast now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, it was really, our other, our other bandmate was Kyle Gass from Texas D. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, it was, um, and it was just really, just a, a really funny uh, show. I, I think we were, I, I've said this before, but we were not marketed as a really funny show. We were marketed as a very heartwarming show, mm-hmm. which was something we did, but it was something we would do occasionally and we would quickly undercut it with something ridiculously funny. And I loved that about the show. I think it it, it walked a really nice line. Um, but yeah, it was an absolute blast to work on. And I, I appreciate him uh, 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 keeping the flame going for that show. Jonathan Feldman says, if he could have been a part of a special musical episode for any of the normally non-musical TV shows he has been a part of, which would it be? That's interesting. I think 
you know, we talked about doing, we did a couple of musical numbers on, on Speechless, actually, and that was fun. They're hard. They're hard. Mm-hmm. They, take, they take longer to shoot than regular uh, scenes. But um, off the top of my head, I feel like Children's Hospital would have been a really fun yeah. place to do a musical. Uh, I don't think they did a musical episode. If they did, I was not in it. Um, they would have music throughout. Um, and I wrote a bit one time where Megan Mullally sang because she's, you know, she you know, started out on Broadway and it seemed a waste to not let her sing. Um, but I think that off the top of my head, I think uh, um, a musical episode of Children's Hospital would have been the most fun. That's a great question. Uh, so do you have a Just Me or Everyone? You know... I do. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? I'm realizing it's very specific to this industry and 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 maybe this podcast. I keep asking people what it was like working on these individual projects that they've worked on. So now I'm in a place now where I, I, I'm I'm so distant from the TV shows that I'm watching, where if I see someone like running up a flight of stairs on a show, my first thought is, my God, that character has to get up those stairs. My first thought is actually, how many times did he have to do that? <laughs> how many times did that actor have to take those stairs two at a time? Because that looks exhausting. Um, so it, it's, it's taken me out of it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because I've been, I've been going, I do a lot of homework for my, as you clearly do too. I do a lot of homework before, uh, these interviews and I, I watch, um, you end up watching so many, uh, cop shows if you're interviewing character actors, you know, right. so ask me anything about Bosch. He's got a dead mom. <laughs> He's trying to solve the case. I mean, I've watched he wears a ton that of Bosch. Woven bracelet. Yes. Um, yeah. And he, he, he rolls his sleeves up. They show his tattoos and the, the, of the upper echelon cops don't like that Bosch has tattoos. But Wait, um, who did, uh, who, which interview were you watching Bosch for? Um, I was watching Bosch for Spencer Garrett. I was watching Bosch for Brooke Smith. I was watching Bosch for a third one that's escaped my mind. Bosch mm-hmm. has employed a ton of my guests. Because, <laughs> um, again, it's a cop show that needs interesting people. Right. And it shoots here in L.A. You know, they don't shoot in New York or Atlanta so or Vancouver, God help you. So it's all local character actors on that show. Um, there's a few um, – there's a few uh, on my must book list mm-hmm. uh, who I, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that he was number one on the show, Titus, Titus Welliver yeah. would be fantastic. You know, I, I'm I'm hesitant. He might still be. I don't know that he's a household name. I don't know. Would you? Yeah. Would either of your parents know who Titus Welliver is? I don't think so. All right, maybe but they've heard of Bosch, but I don't think that they would know him. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Can you reveal who's on your must book list, or is that private? Uh, no, I'll put it out there because I'm trying to like yeah. get the word out that these are people I'm hunting down. Uh, there's an actor named Bill Camp. Bill Camp taught uh, taught the young girl how to play chess in Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah. Um, and before that, he was on the night of. He shows up in um, – he used to work a ton in Boston because he was at the American Repertory Theater. He's up there. Um, Bob Balaban um, oh, yeah. from all yeah. the Christopher Guest movies and he also um, services John Voight in Midnight Cowboy in a very famous scene uh, Keith David CCH Pounder I want to get um, B.D. Wong I love um, I'd love to get um, I'm going through my I share an agent with Ming-Na Wen I'm trying mm-hmm. to get 
uh, her in on this. Um, but I also like being surprised. I also have a few people who have landed in my lap. I had a great talk with Derek Mears, who has played both Swamp Thing and Jason in the Friday the 13th reboot. This is an actor who doesn't actually talk much on camera, but has fascinating, incredible stories and did all this stuff about the way children process grief when he was gearing up to play Jason Voorhees that was made for a great interview. And he's not somebody I necessarily, not somebody I would necessarily would have hunted down, but um, I'm so glad I did. We, we had a, we had a great talk. So is your just me or everyone that you're ta- you get taken out of the scene when you're watching something because you're thinking about the mechanics of how it's done? I'm thinking about the actual making of this TV yeah. show or film that really, um, uh, you know, and God help me if it's raining in a scene because I'm automatically like, happy accident or are they spraying the actors <laughs> i don't think that's just you um i find that i get taken out of a lot of non-scripted reality shows be- where they're talking to camera because i've done like a fair amount of talking to camera stuff and so i just imagine i'm like that's too clever that line was fed to them that's i just am always yeah and like my husband will get, especially Vanderpump Rules, he'll get very into it. And he's like, you know, wants to assess like which specific personality disorder each character has. And I'm just thinking like, I mean, you're, he's probably right. But also so much of this is is the editing. Yeah. And they're also doing that talking head thing where they're speaking in the present tense, even though, you know, yes. they shot it afterwards, yes. which uh, also yanks mm-hmm. me out of Top Chef with the, with the quickness. Right. And Lego Masters, for that matter, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm a big booster. Um, I know that you need to go, but so I have one more question from Hit before. Uh, why did the student punch you? Oh, tr- by the way, student tr- sw- took a swing at me. If right. he had connected, I doubt I would be speaking in full sentences right okay. now. This kid was huge. He was going running down the hallway kicking all the doors and he actually kicked in like the lower panel of my door and I got very upset and very mad and I said young man what's your name I think I actually said young man (laughs) trying to trying to alpha myself a little bit and he flipped me off over his shoulder and I went up to him and I grabbed his backpack and he just turned and I just I felt the wind of his fist go (laughs) and um did you duck uh, I, I just kind of dodged, kind of pulled back. And I honestly think I, he was just there to scare me. If he'd meant to contact, chances are he would have contacted. And um, again, I'd be eating through a tube right now. But um, he was very large, this young man. Um, never saw him again. For all I know, that was he left the building and never came back. It was like March, and I still had like three months left to teach at that place. But it, it shook me up uh, yeah. a lot. And now, granted, should not have left my classroom, should not have touched his uh, book bag. Um, those are on me. And if it had come down to something, um, there's just so much the teachers union could have done for me because I was not where I was supposed to be. I was supposed to stay in my room. Um, but um, but yeah, it was scary. Yeah. I don't recommend it, Getting uh, uh, having someone try to punch you. I'll try to avoid that. Thank you for yeah. this tip. This is helpful. Hey, happy to. That one's free. <laughs> Uh, if you guys like what you're hearing, please make sure you're subscribed or following in whatever app you're uh, listening to this in so that uh, the episodes are are there automatically and you don't miss one. Also, you can check this out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. And if you do like what you're hearing, please make sure to leave us a nice comment. Tell your friends. The comments help the show a lot. Um, just want to put in just a, a quick plug for five stars. That was my favorite number. And uh, 
up. What am I? What am I forgetting? I'm on Cameo. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. You can send in your own Just Me or Everyone's. Tweet them to at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Use the hashtag uh, J-M-O-E. And John, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your podcast, et cetera, what we should all be looking out for. Uh, I'm on Instagram at John Ross Bowie, and the podcast has an Instagram uh, and a Twitter page at Household Faces. Um, and I've been dabbling in TikTok, but I might be too old for it. Did you? Were you at one point on Twitter and then left, or were you yeah. never on? I see. no, I left Twitter last year because it was bad for Johnny's mental health. I get um, that. <laughs> yeah, you know, John, Johnny needed to take a little uh, Johnny time, and um, <laughs> I feel. 30 to 35 percent better having done so really um remember when twitter was just like the dumbest dad jokes being made by 20 somethings that was a glorious golden age and it's gone now and um i i I miss like the uh silly little hashtag games and um you know the there was one thing i was checking the household faces twitter the other day and somebody started um uh your dj name is dj followed by whatever you uh just spent a ton of money on (laughs) And I had to I had to chime in with great I'm DJ Data Recovery. <laughs> I, I just dropped off three dead hard drives at a at a place in the valley. <laughs> it's got like baby pictures on it. I got to get them back. Yeah. Um. But uh. But that that era of Twitter is is the minority. Uh. So yeah, Instagram I I can stay out of trouble. Do you feel like you're missing out on anything by not being on Twitter? I don't. I did for like a month, and mm-hmm. I really I think I'm fine. I think. Whatever I'm missing out on will eventually make the news. Right. And if it doesn't make the news, perhaps there's a reason. Yeah. You know, I, or you know, if, if somebody else mentions it to me, I have like great friends who are still on Twitter who don't have an addiction problem with it, who will send me really funny stuff. Steve Agee, like a couple times a week, will be like, I know you're not on Twitter. Here's something you missed. And it will genuinely make me laugh. God love him. But um, for the most part, I think I'm okay. Well, you're my hero now. Someday. Someday I will cut the cord. Uh Tony, what about you? Uh, I am still on Twitter and Instagram at Tony Thaxton. And my podcast, Bizarre Albums, every Tuesday. And also, if you're in the L.A. area, September 2nd, I'll be playing drums at the Federal with uh, Don't Stop or We'll Die. And also, uh, I'll be in playing with the opening band, Townland, which is uh, our friend Matt Gorley is in that band. Uh, so, uh, yeah, come on out to that if you're in the L.A. September 2nd. Nice. Um, excellent. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was nice meeting you, Allison. Thanks for having me. Nice meeting you too. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? We had a good time.